and kids may be dismissed to children's church. While they're doing that, I did want to draw your attention to something that's on the table out back. Um, By the way, we're going to clean that table off. It's the end of the year. Might as well give a fresh start for the new year. But out there is a reading plan that we've kind of uh, adapted as our own. A friend of mine and I put this together. He did most of the work, but I had him put our uh, logo on there. It's called 260 in 2010. It's a Bible reading plan. Some of you uh, I know have your own plans. By God's grace, thank you and stick to it. Some of you may not. Some of you may not like plans. Uh, but There are some in here who say, if I have a plan, I know I'm more apt to read through it. And since we're starting with the Gospel of Mark here, we went through and we've got Luke and Acts and then the Gospel of Matthew followed by Hebrews and James, which is more of a Jewish flair. Then uh, towards the end of the year, Gospel of Mark, First and Second Peter and Jude, which is more of a Roman flair. And then finally, the, the Gospel of John, his letters, and the book of Revelation. It is uh, through the New Testament in one year. It's one chapter a day, five days a week. And we've, uh, if you look at it here, it begins on January 4th and will take you through the end of the year. If you're interested in that, that's on the back table out there. I'd love for me. I'm going to do this. My wife's going to do this. I'd love for you to join us. And also in your chair, you should have had a little outline of the book of the Gospel of Mark. It should be up there as well. We are beginning the Gospel of Mark. There are four Gospels. I have chosen this one because it is the shortest, and it will allow us uh, with just one week of two chapters to work from today through Easter through the Gospel of Mark. And um, what you should have in front of you is the outline. And if you turn it over in the front flap, you see that the author is Mark, a young man who, and there's a paragraph in chapter 14, only two verses, that said a young man witnessed all this and was tried to capture it, and he he fled away naked. That is probably uh, your author right there, the Gospel of this Gospel, John Mark, uh, he was a young boy, maybe witnessed this, and he then wrote by the instruction of Peter this gospel for us. Many believe his is the first gospel, although it's second in our English uh, canon, Matthew, Mark. Uh, we know it's not the last. Everybody knows John is the last writer. Um, so it's somewhere in first, second, or even third, but we know it was written before A.D. 70, because in Mark 13.1, Jesus makes reference to the temple. So it was probably written in the 50s or 60s by the young man, Mark, who was heavily influenced by the apostle Peter. In fact, we get a lot of Peter's life in this gospel. I like Peter because there's a lot of my life in reflection of Peter. Ready, fire, aim, right? No, it's ready, aim, fire. But, but that, that you get a lot of Peter in here, and you just see his life as he walks with Jesus. He doesn't get it, then he gets it. He doesn't get it, then he gets it. It's just like me. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. And as I progress, you see Peter, if you were to read his later uh, letters to the church, he finally understood it fully. And if you were to read the, Acts chapter 10, 33 through 43, that little sermon is almost an outline for this gospel. It's written to Roman Christians, where Matthew's written to the Jews, uh, Luke is written to the Gentiles, John's written for everybody, this is written for Roman Christians. It's written to explain Jesus Christ, uh, who he was and what he did, to show him as the servant 
If Matthew lifts up Jesus as king and Luke lifts him up as a man and John lifts him up as God, this, this gospel, Mark, lifts him up as servant. He's the God-man servant king. And it's to explain, finally, the high cost of discipleship. You will see, even in this first chapter, uh, he's calling men and women to himself. He's calling them to a radical lifestyle. And over and over again, he will be teaching his disciples. The flap there shows a map. If you look at Galilee, that's where most of Mark happens, chapters 1 through 8. And there, just a little fun fact, is a boat that probably what it looked like when they were riding on the Sea of Galilee. If you open it now up, you see a quick outline of the book of Mark. You see the preparation of the Son of God is the first main section. And then you see the Son of God's ministry in and around Galilee is the second section. His ministry on the road to Jerusalem is the third section. And then finally, the Son of God's ministry in Jerusalem. And underneath the first section, you see the forerunner, John the Baptist, who preceded Jesus. Then his baptism, which he was presented Uh, by his Holy Father to the world, and then the temptation, he was provoked by Satan. And then in his ministry in Galilee, it's initiated and opposed, and we'll look at the initiated aspect of that today. It's explained and rejected, it's extended and misunderstood. And then on the road to Jerusalem, before he gets into the holy city, it's bookended by two um, stories of the blind that receive sight. And in between there, those who are see remain blind to the gospel. It's a great section of the scriptures about us coming to finally learn and see who Jesus Christ is. And finally, Jesus' ministry in and around Jerusalem, the passion and the resurrection, which will end on Easter, and then the debated conclusion. There are a lot of scholars who think Mark 16, 9 through 20 is not supposed to be included in the gospel, and we'll deal with that when we get there. And so that is a quick outline of the book of Mark. What we're going to do in this series, uh, this book together, we're going to actually read through the gospel together. And so this week and next, I will read through it. I'd like to get the other elders up and some other men to read through the text together. The gospels were written to be read aloud. And so what we're going to do each week is we're going to read the chapter. And then on your uh, outline, on your handout there, you should have an outline of the chapter. And then we're going to focus in on one little paragraph on the back of your outline, uh, your handout should be an outline of the entire chapter. And then we're going to focus on a little paragraph each week. And that way we're getting an overview. It's like if you were flying into Eagle from L.A., you see, oh, there's Hanging Lake, there's Sylvan Lake, there's the Beeve, there's the Vail Mountain. And we're just giving an overview and then we're landing the plane and we'll go see Sylvan Lake. And hopefully that whets your appetite enough to go, wow, this valley's full of great things Same way, this book of Mark is full of great uh, stories. This one is written not like a biography, like Luke, not from beginning to end, but immediately you jump into Jesus' ministry. And so we'll look at that today. First and foremost, I want to read this with you. You should have it up there. You can follow along uh, on the screen if you do not have uh, the English Standard Version. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He preached, saying, After me, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. for They were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him 
and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at this chapter now and discover the beauty of who Jesus was, the richness of the gospel, I pray that you would bless this time for your glory and for our good. It's in his son, your son's name I pray. Amen. If you noticed, throughout all that chapter, there was a key word mentioned nine times, immediately, immediately, immediately. It's because this gospel is a, a gospel of action. Where Matthew, you get the sermons of, of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the, all of that discourse. In Luke, you get the, the parables of Jesus. There are many, many parables uh, that Luke, you get the famous prodigal son, the lost coin, etc. In John, you get the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the gate to the sheep. Here, you get less teaching from Jesus and more ministry of Jesus to show that not only can he speak the word, but he serves the world. If you have your handout there on the back, you see in this chapter, the first 13 verses are just an introduction to Jesus Christ. There's that Old Testament connection that Jesus is not a Johnny-come-lately. He is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament promised. He is the answers to all the questions. The servant is announced that John the Baptist was announcing, one's coming after me. Humbly, he's announcing this. He is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Messiah is coming. And then he gets baptized in 9 through 11, that the servant is affirmed. This is my son in you. I am well pleased. And finally, you get the temptation that he, the Spirit, actually leads him to the wilderness, and he is tempted. Matthew and Luke expand on this, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And you see that although the nation, when they were wandering in the wilderness, failed, Jesus did not fall into any temptation. And then Jesus begins his ministry, and in 14 through 45, you see his mission. It begins with his message, 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. That was his message. He said the time is fulfilled. It was promised in the Old Testament. It's being manifested right here in the Gospels. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It will come in its fullness. The book of Revelation throws that out for us. But right now it is inaugurated. The kingdom has come. And now Jesus said the time is fulfilled. It is my mission to proclaim the gospel. And his method in 16 through 20, we'll look at that in just a minute, was discipleship. He was not a lone ranger. He wasn't coming like Rambo. He, though the king of the world, though all-powerful, gathered around him people who would follow him. He would go and call them, and he called them out of their, their line of work and said, I will make you fishers of men. You know how to fish and catch fish. I'll teach you how to catch people. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through my teachings, you can be used by me to reach the world. And then his ministry in 21 through 45, you see, is preaching and healing. More healing than preaching. Like we said earlier, this is a gospel of action. 
21 through 28, it talks about his authority over and over again, especially verse 27, a new teaching with authority. In 29 through 34, you see that he not only heals one lady, Simon's mother-in-law, right? Peter was married. That's different than what some think. He was married and he heals her, but then he goes on and three times there he healed many and he cast out many demons. And then we'll look at the section today on Jesus preaching in Galilee and it ends with more healing, a healing of mercy. Because of the compassion, because of mercy, he said, I will be clean. The leper came to him in faith. If you will, I know you're the all-powerful God of the universe as the demons would declare you're the Holy One of God. If you will, can I be cleansed? I will be cleansed. And so that is just a sweeping overview of chapter 1. There's the introduction to Jesus and the mission of Jesus. And the mission is the gospel through discipleship to not only speak the Word of God to the world, but to care for the world. And so what we're going to look at today is just that one paragraph, seemingly insignificant paragraph, 35 through 39. It doesn't say much, but we will break it down. If you're going to take in notes here, you can see that verse 35, you're going to see an individual aspect of Christ's model for ministry. And in 36 through 37, you're going to see the communal aspect of Christ's model for ministry. And in 38 through 39, you're going to see a cultural aspect for Christ's model for ministry. This is Jesus' model for ministry, and it's not just for him. It's a paradigm for us, God's people, to ponder. First and foremost, what you can learn from verse 35 is this. Christ spent time alone with God. Pretty simple statement. Pretty simple concept. Christ spent time alone with God. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Four verbs are used to describe this action. Four verbs. In the NIV, I think it's he got up, he left, he went away, and he prayed. In the ESV, he he rose... He departed, or excuse me, he rose, he departed, he went out, and he prayed. Four verbs are used to show the the conviction of Jesus, the resolve of Jesus to spend time with God. Jesus was determined to be with his Father. He got up early, he left, he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And if you were to look at the original, the idea of that there he was praying, I believe the New American Standard, he was there praying. It's to say he had been doing this for quite a while. He spent time alone with God. The Savior of the world, God's only begotten Son, saw it a necessity to spend time with his Father. Prayer, you could say, was an important part of Christ's life. You see it here in chapter 1, you'll see it again in chapter 6, and you'll see it again in 14. Jesus Christ made time for prayer. We have to fight for it. Amen? We have to fight for time alone with God. I know there are some who have small children who get up early and need to be fed in all hours of the night. I know there are some who have busy schedules who won't let up. 
I know it's a natural tendency of some of us, me, to think if I don't get started on this and get going on that, then the work won't get done. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. It was a priority in Jesus' life. He had a plan, he had a place, and he had a purpose. We make priorities of things that are most significant to us. He had a plan early in the morning. He arose while it was still dark. Now, it doesn't mean it has to always be early in the morning. You will see in Matthew, or in Mark 6 and Mark 14, it was late at night. After a long day of ministry, Jesus went up on the mountain. It was there praying in the evening. So morning, I would even say if you need it in your lunch hour, noon or night, Jesus had a plan. He set aside certain parts of the day to spend time alone with God. He had a place. He arose while it was still dark, and he went out to a desolate place. He had a place. He withdrew to a desolate place, and I think this is true, so that he could spend time with God undistracted, and that he would be praying and walking and talking with God out loud. There's an article out there called, uh, Should We Really Call It a Quiet Time? Because there are many psalms that were meant to be what? Sung. There are many verbs throughout the entire Old and New Testament about praising God and thanking Him. And yes, we can do it in our hearts, and, but most of the time it's verbal. I just read the other day a, a gentleman that I follow in, in some of his, his work. He said that he, he, every morning he spends some time in the, reading the Scripture and then he sings a psalm. And I actually emailed him, where, where did you get the... I don't even know what to call it. The, I guess the hymn book or the, the musical notes. Not that I can even read music. But just the idea of what they're putting the Psalms is in a, a uh, they're writing them down in a way that you could sing them. So I think Jesus was, while it was still dark, going to a desolate place. He was going there as he, he modeled and spoke in Matthew 6, a secret place. So he wouldn't be seen. So the world, he wouldn't be showing the world and being a, quote, show off but he was praying alone with his father and he was probably speaking out loud. A reason why I think it's good for us to speak out loud and I share with you in my own mind or my own life that if I'm praying by myself and I'm just trying to do it in my mind, it tends to wander. It tends to think about, here's what it is and I'll just let you in verbally on what's going on internally. Father, I just pray for this day and I love you and yeah, I got to go shovel off that snow, and um, and there's yeah, I got to get gas in the car. It just things monkeys try to get into that brain of mine. I think speaking out loud helps us to focus on God in prayer. One gentleman, David Pallison, says, by talking out loud, you live the reality that you're talking with another person. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is not just a religious exercise where we bow our heads, close our eyes, and move through a particular list. Lists are good. But that can be cold and pragmatic and, and just going through the motions. Prayer, at its essence, is just talking to God. At its essence. It's talking to your Father. As Luke would come or Lauren would come and Lawson, working on it, would come and just want to talk to me. That's what prayer is. 
Should we keep lists? Amen. Only God doesn't need a list, but even he has lists. But we should keep lists. Otherwise, we forget. I remember just a couple nights ago, Ashley and I were laying down to pray, start praying. We didn't have a list. And I was like, okay, what else do you want to pray for? Lists are helpful. Lists are helpful. But the point of prayer is that Jesus was developing, and this is his, he had a plan, he had a place, his purpose, developing a relationship with his father. How can I develop a relationship with my wife, my in-laws, my mother, my kids, if I never speak to them? I can't. That'd be weird. Therefore, how can I develop a relationship with my heavenly father if I don't talk to him? Prayer is simply and plainly talking about to God what's on your heart. And having a place is good because it it helps you. A plan and a place helps you get into a routine. To some degree, we're all in some routine. John Wesley, the uh, father of, of the Methodist church, his mother had a place. She had many children running around. But she would get up in the morning and when those children were running around, I wish I had an apron, she would put an apron over her head. And she would be talking to God out loud and the children knew while mama's under the apron, that's her desolate place. We don't bother mama. So you, a place doesn't, you don't have to get up and wander to the BLM, right? That's a desolate place. I'm wandering in the, that's what Jesus did. I would never, being from Texas, wander in the BLM in the dark of night, unless I had a gun, because I don't know what's out there. So your place doesn't have to be um, the wilderness. It just needs to be a special place where you communicate. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, go into your room, wherever your room may be, your closet. Shut the door and get to work. Build in a relationship with your Father. Finally, you, you and I don't have to pray more than all we do. It's impossible. Charles Spurgeon, it has been said that he could be preaching and be praying for the people sitting out in the congregation. He was a special man. I can't. So right now I'm not praying, I'm preaching. But in 2010, let's try praying before all we do. Not more than all we do, but before all we do. In fact, we have uh, those prayer requests that we have you fill out and that we send out as ways to spark prayer in your own life. We have a gentleman that comes here, Mike Pittman, on Sunday mornings around 8, 8.15, and for 30 minutes he will pray for this service. He will pray for you. He will pray for everybody that's teaching, preaching. And if we had people leading worship, he prays for them. I invite you to come here and do that. If you have, it's an opportunity, and you think, man, my week's so busy. I'd love to serve the church, but I don't have opportunity. Here's a great opportunity to sit with one of the older gentlemen in our congregation and talk about the Word of God and pray for this body. Jesus spent time with God alone. It goes on to say in 36 and 37, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And so Simon, Jesus had been praying for a long time. And here are these guys going out and they're looking for Jesus. They finally find him. And Peter, I love Peter. Simon Peter said to him, what are you doing? (laughs) Everybody's looking for you. I mean, you just healed my mother-in-law and then you were casting out many demons. I mean, people want you. 
Jesus was not, had a, not only had an individual relationship with his father, he had a, a communal relationship with God's people. Jesus spent time alone with God, and Jesus spent time together with God's people. In fact, I told you we were going to look at 16 through 20. This is how he's calling people to be around him. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee in verse 16, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. And he called them to come with him. And he went further and he called James and John to come with him. And then chapter 3, you're going to see he, he's calling all these disciples and he picks 12 to follow him closely. The point is Jesus gathered around imperfect people to help carry out God's plan. Not only did he have an individual relationship with God that he made a, a priority in his life, you can tell that Peter and, and the other men who were with him felt close enough to Christ that they gathered around and said, everybody's looking for you. He was in community. Jesus wasn't in an ivory tower directing the world. He was with and among people. I put this down. The man without any sin, Jesus, graciously lived with, instructed, rebuked, and encouraged those who were with sin. Amen? And God, I think, to model Christ's likeness is calling us to mix it up together with all sorts of people who are not exactly like us, who are not just like us. This is how we learn to love one another with all our oddities and our faults, is we gather around. So we need to make a deliberate effort to be in community with God's people, and that doesn't just happen on Sundays, and that doesn't just happen at Christmas or Easter. I know there were some here Thursday that I will not see again until Easter who would claim me as their pastor. Out in coffee shops, they will say, there's my pastor. But they're not in community with us. It's odd. It just seems odd to me. Jesus was with his people. He, re- he withdrew for a period of time, but when they came looking for him, he got in community with them. One reason we have community groups is to gather people and get around people who are not just like you to learn how to love one another. It builds up the church. It happens over dinners with families. It happens in community groups. We have some starting in this January. And it happens in, over coffee, drinking a, what do you drink, moose tracks? You fellowship with, you've got to make a deliberate effort to spend time with God's people. Christ did it, we should do it. And finally, if it, there's an individual aspect to Christ's life and a communal aspect, he doesn't stop right there. He didn't just come to get in a holy huddle. There's a cultural aspect. Christ made time to go with God's people to those who needed to hear the message of the gospel. Verse 38, he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out, or this is why I came forth. A parallel to this is Luke 4, 42 and 43, and Jesus said, this is the purpose for which I was sent, to preach the gospel of God. I was sent for this purpose. And 39 says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He was speaking the word of God, and he was serving the world. Christ's purpose, that cultural purpose to take the gospel to the world, is our purpose. It's our purpose. 
God keeps us. I, I, I came up with this, and I, I'm just throwing it out there. And if, if, if you, if there's disagreement, please tell me, because I just thought of this. But I think God keeps us alive for two reasons, just two: to prepare us for heaven, and to go share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. To prepare us for heaven and those around us, if we're parents, to prepare our kids for heaven, and for us to go share the news. The gospel is our life. It is our edification. It's our sanctification. And we are to take it to the world in our evangelism. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It isn't just fire in church. You believe once. Once saved, always saved. Yeah, I did, did well with the gospel. I put it on the shelf and I'm doing other things. The gospel is our life. It's for mommies who work at home. It's for those who work with their hands. It's for coaches, ranchers, accountants, construction workers, counselors, teachers, servants of all kinds. The gospel is for all of us. And we are to share Christ both formally through the preaching of the word, teaching in Sunday school classes, the teaching in in children's church, and also informally every day of our life. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 talks about how you instruct people in God's ways. I think the immediate application is family, but I think you could extend that, that we are to talk about the gospel when we sit and when we walk and when we rise and when we lie down. It is about our life. It was about Jesus' life. It should be about our life. And Jesus modeled the way. He spent time with God. He spent time with God's people, and then he went with God's people to the world. He is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Except one. Except one thing. Right? There's one thing that we couldn't do. God created us and wanted us to be with Him. But our sin separates us from God. And that sin cannot be paid for by acts of religion, church attendance, Sunday school, Bible studies, community groups, uh, praying through the rosary, whatever it is, religious activities cannot pay for your sin. Nor good works. Oh, I spoke harshly the other day. I will speak kindly today. They'll cancel each other out. I'm neutral. In fact, maybe I'll speak some more kind words over here to the Petersons, build up a little bank account so I can come over here and maybe get sassy with Jania. You know, I got four over here, one over there that leaves three more rewards for me in heaven. That's not how the gospel works. Sin cannot be paid for by religious acts or good works. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again, which means he had to be born. That's why there's Christmas. Died and rose again, that's why there's Easter. Those two, we're seeing the life of Christ in between there. And everyone who believes in Jesus, trusts in him, who comes to him humbly, whether it be on your knees, but with a humble heart and says, I can't do it. I have failed. God created me in his image. I've sinned against him. There's no way, there's no way I can do anything. I would put myself in deeper debt because God keeps me alive. There's no way I can pay for my sin on my own. I've got to trust in Jesus Christ. And that life, that eternal life, John 5.24 says it begins now. Those who have believed in Jesus have, present tense, eternal life. That's the one thing 
Jesus modeled for us a life of ministry, individually, communally, and culturally. But that's the one thing he did on his own. He went to the cross. As that old lyric is not old, it's contemporary. He came from where? Heaven to earth. From the earth to the cross. From the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky. What do we do? Lord, I lift your name on high. He came, I don't want to sing it because I'm not a good singer, but that's the point. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He and God and the Holy Spirit were forever, in eternity, past, living together in perfect harmony, having a great time. And God chose to create the world to display His glory to those who would follow Him, to to the entire world. And Jesus is up there, and He didn't consider that something to be grasped, but he, He emptied Himself. He humbled himself, coming in the form of a man. I wonder what it was like for Christ to be in Mary's womb. Because it seems that his whole life he knows what's going on. In Luke 2, when he's, should I not be about my father's business? Because John knew who Jesus was when John was in Elizabeth's womb. Do you remember that? Mary shows up. Hey, Mary, how... And then Elizabeth feels this kick. You ever feel a kick? Huh? That's Jesus. John's going, I'm going to be the forerunner. And so Jesus, who has always existed as the perfect Son of God, came and identified with us. He modeled a life for us. That now we can do what we never thought we'd want to do or could do on our own. We cannot live our life on our own. We need the gospel every single day. And now we can consider living what I'll call, and be using this phrase a lot, a missional life, one that is going out. The church, by definition, is called out. And Jesus said in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so send I you, to go out into the world. And so like Christ, that begins individually as we develop a relationship with our Father. Like Christ, it's fostered in community with other believers. And like Christ, we go to society that's desperately in need of God's love. And so this Friday marks what? A new year. And I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions because that's kind of that achievement-oriented, if I can do these things, I'm a better person type issue. They're okay, but instead of making new resolutions this year, Let's resolve in our own hearts to live like Christ. And then pray, God, what would it mean for 2010 for me to be more like Christ on December 31st, 2010 than January 1st, 2010? What would that look like? And allow the the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, those around you in your community groups to help you make those necessary changes, to be more like Jesus. And prayerfully, with grace-based decisions, let's do three things. Let's spend more time with God alone. Let's share more time with God's people together. And let's seek to be more involved in the lives of those who don't know Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who not only was the Savior of our own sin, but he was the model Christian. He was the model believer that he individually spent time with you. Father, that he didn't do it on his own, but he was in community 
with others who loved you. And he didn't stop there, Father. He went to the world as you sent him so that at the end of his life, he could pray back to you and say, Father, though I have done the work you have given me to do. Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that, to do your work this year for your glory and the good of the world, starting in our own homes and spreading throughout this valley. And as we pray for and send those across the world, I pray that your name would be glorified and lives would be touched with the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.